welcome back readers and romance seekers to Hopelessly Romantic Behind the Page. Hey look, I'm back. <laughs> I'm glad I'm back. Um, like I mentioned in my hiatus notice, um, I've been having a hard time with my vision. Like any elder millennial, um, I've been ignoring certain aspects of my health and my eyes were one of those things and they finally decided that they've had it with me and basically went on strike. Okay, not exactly. Um, I just couldn't fake it until I made it while I was reading anymore, as it were. Um, especially since I have to switch between a computer monitor and paper text when I'm working on my scripts. Um, it's kind of an annoying journey, actually. First, I went to one optometrist, uh, told them that I might be interested in contacts, and he said, sure, no problem. Well, the thing about that is that, uh, for starters, I got astigmatism. <laughs> So the contacts that he sent me home with were not exactly helpful. My right eye was completely fine. Uh, left eye, not so much. I was having a lot of problems focusing, and honestly, they were just irritating in general. Uh, my technical advisor pretty much had to drag me to another optometrist, and that guy took one look at my script, and he said that he would not have pushed contacts into my particular prescription because it just wasn't the right fit, I guess you could say. So that's great. Uh, but now I am finally back in proper glasses, and I am much happier. I can finally read again, for starters. Anyway, with all that explained, let's go ahead and talk about a little about last week's episode. Yeah? Yeah, I I really didn't want to take that break, I promise. I, I had a book prepared and everything, but, you know, eyes. Uh, the book that I had planned for us was Connard County Christmas Crime Spree, a near-perfect alliterative from Harlequin's Intrigue imprint. I, I, I do think that there are some things to say about it. I'll probably sit on it until next year because I don't, I just don't want to leave it alone yet. Um, but you know, I just, I just don't want to do like, you know, a Christmas book in February. I don't want to be doing that. Um, and another thing that went against the novel was the fact that I was really still in the middle of trying to figure out how I could change up this podcast. The play by play that I was doing, it, it's not the smoothest. And frankly, I just want to be able to kind of move on from that format. So trying to figure this out while struggling with my eyesight, it just, it was just too much all at once. By the time my glasses had come in, of course, Christmas had more than come and gone. So I had to move on to something else that I was sitting on. And that was the Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics. And honestly, I was pretty happy with it, all things told. I might want to look into other works that the author's done, or at least check out the other two books in the Feminine Pursuit series. Um, it, it might be another one of those series that we come back and visit in the podcast. Uh, I did mention in the review that I was a little off put by the girl boss, and I think I do kind of need to examine why that might have been. It's very possible that this just really is just a result of author preaching to the choir, so to speak. If this were a novel that had taken place in 2023, I might push against it, at least at this level of girl boss, because it felt a little he heavy handed to me. Long-time listeners will remember the disaster that was a, a cold case Colorado, and that was Girl Boss with hashtag in front of it while it, mm, it was absolutely awful. And we didn't get that quite far into it, the ladies guide, it didn't get that bad, but still I was just like, if this had been, if this had been a more contemporary setting, I, I might've felt a little bit the way I did while reading cold case Colorado. Um, I don't know. Is this because it's a romance? It's or it's a genre already dominated by women, women authors, women readers. Like, do we all do we need to be told that we are just as valid and capable as men in traditional male spaces? 
like, do, do we need to be told that? And many, because many of us already know. But, you know, maybe some of us perhaps could use reminders. Or, you know, at least uh, someone could feel an affirmation from afar. Um, let's, for a moment, let's go ahead and take a look at our two leads for a deeper look at this idea. So first we've got Lucy. She's the astronomer who is more than adequate when it comes to translating the work from France. Um, she knows French, she knows the calculations that her father was doing, and she knows the calculations that she is capable of doing. She's more than knowledgeable in astronomy. Uh, but she's also sometimes kind of fighting uh, something called imposter syndrome. You might already be familiar with this concept if you're deep on the internet like myself. Basically, it's when a person, usually a woman, second guesses themselves and doesn't believe that they deserve the accolades or successes that they've gained because they aren't able to see how incredible they are. This could be for a myriad of reasons. One big reason is that a woman could be told by the men in her life that she isn't good enough to break into those male-dominated spaces, when the reality is quite the opposite. Women who have made it into positions of high status or power often have had to run circles around the men in order to achieve the same amount of personal achievement. Lucy is basically told by, let's be honest here, a bunch of old white men that she really doesn't have the qualifications to submit her translation because, come on, she's just a woman. Um, she does grapple a little bit with the possibility that she is, in fact, not good enough. Um, but, you know, she's able to overcome most of her concerns, more or less. Uh, there is a little bit of, I guess you could say, tension when a, a, some of the other individuals in Catherine, or sorry, Lucy's life, like her brother, um, it's like, oh, well, Catherine is just like, you know, giving you money because she wants to be nice and get something from you. It, it It's just kind of kind of insidious the the way they present this idea um so that doesn't really help lucy's concerns um but when it comes to like you know achieving self goals the person with the bigger leap of faith here actually is catherine so catherine probably has the most self-actualization in this novel um she may be the eldest out of the two of them and she may have had quote more experience um could we also say that she has imposter syndrome when she already doesn't consider her skills worthy to bring to the table at all? And I do think that's an interesting question. Um, I'll say that it is a manifestation of imposter syndrome, since, since, especially since it takes a great deal of prodding from outside sources for the Countess to consider herself an artist with her skills. Um, it, the, like the publishing house that she takes uh, Lucy's um, manuscript to, uh, they see that Catherine is very quite adept at embroidery. It's like, oh, we should print something for you. Um, and that uh, that publishing house as well, as well is also, you know, a little bit of a feminist stronghold, I guess you could call it. Um, but, you know, Catherine is, you know, saying, oh, I don't, I just do embroidery. That's such a lady's art. And Lucy, you know, and among others are like, just because you're doing it and you're a woman does not mean it's not art. It does not mean that it's not scholarly in its pursuit. Because, um, you know, Catherine is quite, quite the scientist when it comes to botany and things. Um, it, I, I, I don't know. I think, I think there's a lot to really look at here. So when it comes to this girl bossing, I think propping it against the Regency backdrop is a pretty good idea. Not only is it challenging the impression of the entire era, molding it to our more modern sensibilities, um, it can also give us this pep talk in a way that makes sense for the setting. 
It's like, you know, we're, we're looking at a bunch of women who are worried and focused about their challenges, what they're doing, and they may have greater leaps to jump, but we can see in ourselves that same ambition and that same drive, and we can be inspired to make our own moves. And completely different, there is also a lot of queer representation in this novel, um, not just with our leading romantics. Uh, there were suggestions of non-hetero couples all over the place, and I really did enjoy seeing it inside a traditionally conservative backdrop. And uh, there is big ol' air quotes around that traditional. And there, there is a lot more going on inside The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics, so I really do recommend checking it out. I'll probably check out the other books from that, from the author, if not the series, myself. But with that, we can go ahead and move on to what Heather's been reading this week. And this week, I am reading Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry. Uh, the audiobook version that I've been reading is uh, read by the author, and it's been pretty great. Um, Legends and Lattes tells the story of Viv, an adventurer who has finally decided to settle down, retire, and open up a coffee shop. The hook, dear friends, is that this takes place in a world of high fantasy. If you've ever played a D&D game with a strangely high-level bartender or inn owner, this is essentially the story of said high-powered proprietor. Viv is an orc, and while out on her travels, discovers this gnomish drink called coffee, and thought it would be the perfect opportunity to retire. I'm actually pretty glad that the author just got straight to the point and didn't try to create a new word for something that's already completely ubiquitous in our world. And I'll be straight with you, if you've read a story about a coffee shop that's been established against all odds, you've probably read something exactly like Legends and Lattes. And for me, it wouldn't usually be something that I would pick up. However, the addition of the high fantasy element changes everything for me. I love that trope of the retired badass. I love the concept of found family, uh, the idea of making friends with, let's say, less than morally inclined local kingpins, and mixing all that up with the fantasy creates just that perfect storm of Heather's happiness. I feel that someone might go into Legends and Lattes expecting something a little more rough around the edges, and then they might feel disappointed when there isn't a great, huge adventure overcoming insurmountable odds. High fantasy has that kind of expectation, that great and grand things that need to take place. But Legends and Lattes is quiet. Sure, there's conflict, but that conflict reflects the challenges that one might face in the everyday world. Yes, even local mafia trying to shake down protection money. That quiet, gentle place, pace of the story was, frankly, exactly what I needed right now. It came with just the right amount of escapism, filled to the brim with reassuring characters, and an ending that was simply perfect. In the end, I genuinely love Legends and Lattes, so much that I've actually am reading it right now a second time. Once upon a time, I frequented this local cafe near my college when I was attending school, and the feeling that I get while reading this book, it's almost the exact same feeling that I got drinking a large hot chai latte, talking with friends, and enjoying the atmosphere of the cafe itself. I've been thinking about that tea shop a lot, and I probably have this book to thank for it. I can't imagine a better endorsement for a book than being reminded of precious memories. I implore you, go read Legends and Lattes right now, and if you're of mind, I highly recommend the audiobook. I was a little worried when I learned that it was read by the author, but I'll assuage your fears now. Baldry is a professional audiobook narrator, and he does such an excellent job. Like, it just adds that perfect element to the story. And speaking of books, I mean, that's why we're all here, right? 
Um, but I am adding a new, I guess you could call it spot here on the behind the pages episodes. And that'll be, how's the book coming, Heather? Um, so I've mentioned it a few times before, but yes, I am writing a novel of my own. I began in November for NaNoWriMo, where I began with the goal of at least 50,000 words, which I did meet and exceeded. And I am currently in the middle of the second draft right now. I, I think I'd like to give you, let's go for a, just a bare bones introduction to the story that I've been working on. It is, of course, an erotic romance, you know, judging by the content of the podcast, with some paranormal elements, because, you know, it's me. Unlike what I've been reading, however, it's not low stakes at all. Uh, we have our two main characters, a shifter and his love interest, a woman learning how to use her power of foresight. And as far as the plot goes, that's all I'm going to give you for now. What I really want to do, instead of like talking about the book, like what's happening in the book, I want to document my journey of writing this novel and hopefully getting it published. Uh, I'd like to show a little bit about the process, what that looks like and any challenges that, you know, I find. And you'll probably hear about the 50th rejection letter. <laughs> those are, those are famous. Um, but the good news is, is that I am halfway through my second draft, like I said. Uh, the bad news is that I have had a few relevations about certain plot points that might just derail all of my progress, so that's great. I may be overthinking it. My technical advisor in that way of his lovingly likes to point out that I overthink things a lot. I won't lie and say that I'm leaning on some metaphor in the story, influenced by, we'll say that more than a healthy amount of anxiety that I have been experiencing in the last, uh, sure, several years. Um, I do want to share more about the plot eventually, but I want to have that manuscript finished before I start blabbing away about it. So for the time being, just note that the draft is being worked and reworked, and eventually I'll be able to talk more about it. And finally, I guess before I leave you, I do want to let you know about our Patreon. Um, I announced it during our last episode, but I won't go on forever about it. I, I just want to say that I have been fighting with the idea of making a Patreon for at least the last entire year. Uh, cause I really do want to be able to keep doing this. I want to be able to keep buying good books and I want to be able to keep bringing good quality content and the Patreon is going to really help for that. And so just now that we've got on, um, if you're interested in supporting the podcast and the novel, you can find us at patreon.com slash hopelessly romantic. So that'll be it for me today. I will see you all next week when we read Captive Prince by C.S. Picot. Thank you for joining me, readers and romance seekers, and I hope to see you once again for Hopelessly Romantic. If you like the show, please visit us at hopelesslyromanticpodcast.com. If you have questions or want to recommend a read, please email us at contact at hopelesslyromanticpodcast.com. And don't forget to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash hopelesslyromantic. The show is written and produced by me, Heather Songster. Our technical advisor is Kwong Hin Cho. Hopelessly Romantic is an H with K production. And it doesn't matter what you read, only that it's what you love.